This is Do We Like Movies. It's a podcast where two guys review individual movies, sequels, and occasional television shows. In this show, we talk about our experiences with them, and we answer the question, do we like this movie? Welcome to Do You Like Movies. I'm your host, Angel. And I am your ancient host, Javi, who has always been here, but kind of not really, and disappears at the most like essential times of the timeline's history. I'm Javi. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> this week we're talking about Eternals, the brand new Marvel Studios movie that just came out, I think, about a week ago. It's fairly new, yeah. That we are, we are on. We have our fingers on the pulse of Marvel fandom. <laughs> well, we ended up in again. We ended up like incidentally turning this into some sort of Marvel review month. Um, not not like intentional, but you know, it ended up working out. Um, yeah. I'm gonna say that I'm glad that we went back to Infinity War last week, and that I'm glad I was able to make my peace with it and realize that I didn't hate it that much because <laughs> I've got some thoughts on this movie. <laughs> All that Infinity War vitriol and hate <laughs> that was unfounded is now getting transferred to this movie. And I, I don't know if it's and I refuse to rewatch this again in three years. And I'm gonna make you it. watch it. <laughs> Shut up. If you're you, earlier today, you were talking about we're gonna watch the amazing Spider-Man in that group chat. Fuck you. I'm gonna make you watch the internal. You know, you saying all of this on air is why you're like basically putting the nail in your own coffin that we're gonna watch shitty Spider-Man sequels. Nail these. I know it's an <laughs> audio medium, but pretend that you can see me grow. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah right. you're right because some dickhead's gonna vote for it hey you guys should review amazing spider-man 2 and i don't care if that's the one i didn't see i know it's bad hence why i didn't see it. oh you never saw it no oh that we are fucking watching amazing no Spider-Man the fuck 2. we're not yes we fucking are i swear to you we are gonna watch that movie if we watch that we have to watch spider-man 3 the best sam raimi spider-man movie the one i will where... argue that amazing spider-man 2 is worse no shut up it is worse because at least spider-man 3 had characters that you kind of cared about from spider-man 1 and 2 you know, like it, it, it at least brought back characters that you really have like feelings about because you've seen them throughout the previous movies. I didn't care enough about the characters from Amazing Spider-Man to have any sort of emotional attachment to them in Amazing Spider-Man 2. And just the amount of shit that they try to shovel into that movie is shocking. Like when Gwen Stacy dies, you're just like, eh. <laughs> It's it's just kind of like it's way too little too late in a movie I did not give a shit about. It's 11. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right so uh, The Eternals. This is a Marvel property that I have absolutely zero like engagement with or just didn't even know it existed until I started seeing trailers for this movie. Um, so the this only is thing seriously like I hadn't even watched a trailer for this. 
So this is the first time that I've gone into a Marvel Studios movie like completely 100% blind. Um, Were there trailers for the Eternals? I don't remember any. There was. It just feels like it would have been when Richard Madden was shooting things with his eyeballs. (laughs) I mean, it it was out there and... um, you know this movie is is it's kind of coming and and I, it's coming right on the precipice of you know Spider-Man No Way Home which mm-hmm. I think is use of the word precipice by the way which is legitimately to me as big as anything that they've done in Avengers and because it's solely focused on Spider-Man I think is I'm going to enjoy the, more than any Avengers movie I've seen to this date. Even the ones with Spider-Man. Yeah, because, I mean, I like Spider-Man and Avengers, but, you know, we talk about how much I love those Spider-Man live-action movies. The fact that we get to go back to Spider-Man live-action, and it, it's just more of like a... It's basically a tribute to Spider-Man on film as opposed to, like, f- trying to feel like an Avengers side quest. Let's take a moment and date our podcast by saying this is the day after the last trailer for No Way Home drop and collectively cream our pants with how good that trailer was. Like, I think friend of the show, Jose, in a group chat was talking about how he was like super hyped and almost like breathtaking from it. Like that last trailer is no joke, pretty freaking awesome. And the fact that they're tying in everything that's Spider-Man, this is like, at first I thought the the, the multiverse in Marvel is just going to be kind of hokey and dumb and thrown in as an after, like, as an after thought. But it's like, oh no, they are taking their time to flesh this out. And Spider-Man really is like the lightning rod of it all. So I, for one, am really juiced for No Way Home. And... I think this movie is also like the Eternals is also a setup for bringing in like the multiverse shenanigans, which especially since we've been, if you've been keeping up with like Loki and WandaVision and all that stuff, it's just like, yeah, it's the next logical step is to just now that you've conquered the big bad Thanos. Now it's about conquering all of the multiverses. And it's not just Marvel that's doing this. It's not just Marvel that's doing this because obviously... DC DC, did it first, nerds. Well, DC is doing it on film with the Flash movie. And what I appreciate is that both... In this case, both DC and Marvel understand that the way to really make this multiverse or, you know, crisis, like kind of... Or Flashpoint, like all these kinds of you know multi-dimensional universes like the way to make them work is to use existing movies that already are out there have you prey on our nostalgia to steal the money out of our pockets during a pandemic who cares about (laughs) canon if you make everything canon you know right and that's what that's what they're pretty much doing at this point well, yeah, because I feel like obviously we're at a point where Avengers brought like the advent of, well, now we have to do superhero team ups and team ups mm-hmm. is all the rage. And now that Endgame has came and gone and we finally saw like the Justice League four fucking hour cut, you know, like now we're we're in a point where this is what we're going to with the multiverse. But 
Jeez, call it what of, it was, miniseries. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of four-hour cuts, you know. This movie needed a four-hour cut. No. It I, felt okay. like a four-hour cut. It felt like a four-hour cut. This movie was two and a half hours, like two hours and 37 minutes. And due to, like, the scheduling, like, really the only way that my wife and I could get out to watch this was to go to a drive-in theater because hey, we're still in a pandemic. My daughter has been like, you know, less than 100% this week. And the way things are now, you're, you're not going to take a sick child into a movie theater full of people uh, or, you know, risk them getting more sick by going into a cold movie theater. So, you know, being responsible adults that we are, we took our child to the drive-in theater to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> we threw her in the bag and told her not to make noise. Um and i okay we talk a lot especially this year about how experience colors how we feel about a movie i'm gonna be completely 100 honest the experience that i had watching this movie was garbage <laughs> like we go into this theater and i don't know what the hell it was but the screen was so absolutely dark that throughout most of the movie outside of like snow scenes or scenes that are in piercing broad daylight i could barely make out what was going on <laughs> in a lot of this movie and had to go by like you know the subtitles and the second part of it is when you're sitting in a car and it's boring and it's cold but it's hot inside the car like there was fog all over the windshield and i could barely just look out the window to see what was going on and uh yeah the movie was boring and i was tired and <laughs> <laughs> I think it was a highly negative experience and I the reason why I bring that up is because you might listen to this episode and be like hey how come you hated all of this shit but you were able to you know give a passing grade to or really appreciate that four hour Justice League cut and I think the only reason why that four hour cut worked and will continue to work for me even though I've only seen it one time because I saw it at home I could take breaks in between watching it i could start watching it at some point and then finish it at another point another movie that does that is there's the godfather saga cut which is essentially godfather one and two and it's like <clears throat> cut in chronological order to where mm -hmm. one movie goes right into the other one. Oh it's my a, god it's a six hour cut oh fuck mm -hmm. off but it's good. I really like it. And if you're someone who knows those movies as well as I do, there's a lot of like new footage that gets inserted into that cut of that movie. So I appreciate that bit of it. But again, it's a movie that I can take breaks in between and you treat it more like a series than you would like just watching it in one sitting. Yeah. Anything watching over three hours, you have to fucking treat it as a series. Even a three hour movie is asking a lot, man. Watching this in a two and a half hour sitting felt like absolutely too much. And I don't think it's a problem with just length because two weeks ago, my wife and I went to finally watch No Time to Die, the James Bond movie. And that mm -hmm. movie was two hours and 40 something minutes. Oh my it was God. nearly three hours. But that movie was such a brisk nearly three hours because at least it was interesting. Like, you know, like we, we were able to get through it and I didn't and I didn't feel the time going by this one. It was ridiculous. I was just like, holy fuck, how much time is there left? And I'd look at my clock and be 40 minutes left in the movie. And just like, God, I feel like I've been watching this for five hours. <laughs> 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 all right so what'd you know about the eternals going into this 
like the the superhero team, not necessarily the movie. Nothing. Absolutely okay. nothing. So I also knew not much. All I knew is that this movie was based on the Eternals, which has a lot of Jack Kirby vibes. And I don't think people give Jack Kirby enough credit. I mean, I'm sure they do. Like, I honestly do. Like, yeah, he's looked at as uh, comic book royalty. But he literally went to two feuding companies and was like, I'm essentially going to create the same thing for both. (laughs) Because he went out and created the New Gods and then went out and created the Eternals and the Celestials and all that shit. And essentially created Fourth World for both of these companies. <laughs> like, that's all I know is that th- this was a brainchild of Jack Kirby. You can tell it has a lot of Jack Kirby influences because of, like, the big, uh, you know, bombastic, like, set pieces, the, the, the costume design for a lot of the characters, and just kind of, like, a lot of the themes about, like, the creation of the universe and just like these big larger high stakes uh big scale scenes that and kind of like also focusing on the interactions like the very like human interactions between these um big time characters so that's all i knew about it and that made me excited because I'm a, I'm actually a really big Jack Kirby fan, and over the years I've become more into like the Fourth World and the New Genesis and Apocalypse and stuff like that. And I've been joking with you about it, but I'm actually mega serious. Is that it just pisses me off that the closest we'll get to the New Gods movie that Warner Brothers axed is probably gonna be Marvel's Eternals. <laughs> and, <laughs> and if that's the case, I'm kind of glad we're not gonna get New Gods because I don't know. I mean, unless Ava DuVernay like had like a, a real awesome slam dunk like concept for it, I just don't know how I could handle this. I mean, she was working with Tom King, and Tom King was doing a fantastic job writing for uh, I think Mr. Miracle back in like 2018. So it's like it's she was working with actual comic book writers, and like they were doing script treatments. But there is the possibility that Fourth World is going to come back in like a, in a miniseries fashion as opposed to a movie, which honestly makes a lot more sense, especially after watching The Eternals. (laughs) So I think with that, we're going to talk a little bit about The Eternals, what worked, what didn't work, the story, and then ultimately give our judgment. So hold on to your butts, Angel, because here we come. (laughs) Yeah, and we're not going to go by it scene by scene, because if we we have to do that, I will kill myself before the end of this show. I'll kill you and then kill (laughs) me. And then kill myself. <laughs> All right, so the movie starts in 5000 BC, and we get introduced to the Eternals. So there's 10 of them. We have Ajax, who's played by Salma Hayek. Cersei, who's played by Gemma Chen. Um, Icarus, played by Richard Baden. Kingo, who's played by uh, Kumail Manjiani. Uh, Sprite, who I'm not sure who she's played for. Um, Fastest. Uh, oh, Leah McHugh plays uh, Sprite. Uh, Brian Terry Henry plays Fastest. Uh, I know he was great. Lauren Ridloff plays uh, Makari. Uh, Barry Kogan. All I know is uh, I've been calling him Don. No. Yeah, Barry Kogan plays uh, Druig. Don Lee, my boy. <laughs> he plays Gilgamesh. <laughs> Um, Harsh Patel playing your personal favorite Karun. 
And then who else? Angelina Jolie plays the war goddess Thena. So essentially they were created by the celestial Arishem and sent to Earth uh, on this big old triangular spaceship uh, so that they can fight the deviants. So the, the deviants are like these weird animalistic creatures um, that inhabit and they've been hunting humanity. So the celestials are there to, oh, I'm sorry, not the celestials, the eternals are there to protect humanity and kill the, kill the, um, um, kill the deviants. And the, along the way, they also protect and they, well, not just protecting the human race, they also help advance the human race and, you know, help the evolution of the human race come along. Like we get scenes where uh, Fastest using his technology, he's kind of like the technology nerd. He creates um, new ways for uh, humans to, to, you know, like plow and build better or build uh farm better crops um you have i think it's sprite who kind of uses her uh powers to uh kind of like give them oral tradition so that they can pass down their stories meanwhile they're telling great stories of characters like icarus who's let's be real icarus is just superman And, you know, played by Richard Mann, who just goes around punching all the deviants and shooting him with his eyeballs. Um, and the team is led by Ajak. Um, so right off the bat, I did want to talk about the, the, the casting of the, of the Eternals. Please. This is pro- probably the most diverse cast that Marvel has put together into a superhero team. And not just diverse, a very talented cast as well. Like these are some pretty like you know big name actors and heavy hitters that are on this. Like just getting Salma Hayek on there was pretty awesome. But then getting uh, a character, or you know, you get um, Don Lee playing Gilgamesh, like a character or an actor that's big out in Korea and like Korean films, who some people remember uh, from uh, Train to Busan. Mm-hmm. so it's like to see him kind of making that jump over to mainstream american films is also really cool being able to see um angelina jolie make a return being able to see like the just the fact that they were a they they legitimately went out to get a a deaf actress like makari um you know or like the actress that played makari and like incorporated using sign language into the film like this is probably the most inclusive cool looking cast i've seen you know Mm -hmm. well and the director of this movie uh chloe zhao uh she had an academy award-winning movie uh because in 2020 the when do i know that name yeah the award for best picture went to nomadland which was the uh francis mcdormand uh uh like movie right where where they had she had won the oscar and you know Yes, she is a woman of color who was directing a movie, you know, and and I know I have to watch Nomadland, but it just annoyed me that we were just going to do the, <laughs> oh, guess which movie wins the Oscar? Oh, well, it's the one about disenfranchised white people. <laughs> it's like, it's like, yeah, that's it. In the pandemic year where people weren't going to movies and a bunch of people were losing jobs and stuff like that. That's what we, and, you know, at the same time, we have white nationalist uprising in this country. That's exactly what I want to know. The plot, the the plight of white people that is that is what i'm interested in thank you for 
for for bringing this fresh perspective uh to this movie so you know but again like (laughs) did you eat anything today because you're coming with some hot takes like (laughs) oh that of someone that hasn't eaten dinner or something i mean (laughs) and you know uh, eat a snickers and i don't want to be again i'm not gonna harp on it way too much but you know basically what i mean by saying all that is they brought in the oscar like crowd right like i mean or or they're this is feels like their attempt to elevate the kind of movies that they're making and i feel like dc was trying to do that with their now canceled new gods project right it's like all right bring in ava duvernay bring in these higher quality you know filmmakers actors and i think it's funny that i brought up james bond because i think that's what like specifically you know after skyfall like i feel like that's what james bond became it became like angry white people no 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 that it's like oh, this okay. is where we bring in all the oscar actors now like because that's what this movie does eternal brings in a lot of really good as you said really good really solid um actors of all different ethnicities and uh backgrounds and and it's awesome that they're doing that it's just unfortunate that they bring them in to, to that. This is the film that they end up making, but you know, like it, it, the, I get the desire to do it. And I, and I understand what they were going for here, but, but one of the biggest problems I have with this movie, and I'll just say it now, like I think where Eternals fails and where a lot of other Marvel stuff wins. So let's say for example, last week, we did infinity war and we watched it and I realized how brisk it was and how quickly it went by and how things didn't have to be over explained. You want to know why they didn't have to be over explained because all the characters that were coming across the screen in this movie had introductions in previous Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. You had the opportunity to get to know who they were, whether it be a post-credit sequence, whether it be a segment of the movie in, in, in the middle, it's just Marvel had like, they had, figured out the recipe for being able to introduce characters in one movie and once you got to know who they were that's when we can bring the team up movie together the main problem i have with this movie is these are characters that we've never met before in the mcu they start off with yes 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 we're going to talk about why we weren't around why we didn't do anything when thanos like snapped and made half the universe disappear and mm-hmm. it's like they acknowledge the fact that it's that that they didn't do it for their own reasons. But that's not good enough. That's not good enough for me. It's like the fact that we're not supposed to get involved in all that stuff. And it's like, I guess that they're trying to tie everything together and make it feel like it's part of it. But it just I didn't it didn't matter to me. Like, I like I felt like it wasn't enough. Like, you know, it's just like, this I was feels, trying to th- mm-hmm. like I was trying to think if I'm a character in this movie. Let's say the most human character of all the superheroes. Let's say you're Captain America. And you find out that there is a group of gods that possibly could have, like, saved half the universe and not let everyone suffer for five years and literally bring about a bunch of shit. I think he would probably have some words and would want to speak some truth to power here. (laughs) Like, I would be pissed if i'm a civilian in the in the marvel universe and i find out there are gods that could have stopped this and been like well what in the where in the fuck were you i'm like because at least yeah thor failed but at least he fucking tried (laughs) where the fuck were you guys it just it feels too out of nowhere 
And I think that's the problem. Everything else in this in this universe feels like it's connected and it feels like it's part of something. And I just like found myself so many times while we were watching this movie, looking at my wife, because the beauty about a drive-in is that you can talk about the movie while the movie's happening because it's just mm-hmm. the, it's just us in the car. And I was just like, fuck, like, I don't... <laughs> I watched this movie by myself, so I had no one to talk to. There was like little... Hispanic family like two rows like <laughs> below me who I think I could have like we were cool I, we had kingship there all we really kept saying was this, this doesn't sucks. feel well not this su- not just this sucks but it doesn't feel like any Marvel movie I've ever watched it just feels mm-hmm. too it's too stuck in its own ass and you and... have no reason to give a shit about any of these characters as a matter of fact, they, like you mentioned, because of the fact that you know they're powerful enough to help when Thanos was there, and the fact that they didn't kind of leaves a sour taste in your mouth. <laughs> right. You're like, okay, okay, you cool. Almost, so I guess we're dickbags. You almost end up feeling like like Watchmen movie vibes when you're watching it because you're like being introduced to all these characters and they're supposedly heroes, but they're not doing things that are particularly heroic, right? Mm-hmm. And the fact that they're all just gods that are like preoccupied with their own bullshit. And it's like they say that they're that most of them have learned to live on Earth and love living with the people because they've watched them evolve and stuff like that. And it just like it feels like everyone is just hamsters to these people Mm -hmm. (laughs) and not people that they actually care about. And that's fine if you're going to kind of do like a Watchmen thing where that's the point, right? Where Where everyone is Dr. Manhattan. Yeah, well, it's just like a like none of the thing about Watchmen is that you're not rooting for any of those characters. They're all pretty reprehensible. And part of it is that it is this like nihilist world. Like it's just, you know, like that's part of it. It's part of this alternative universe that you're living in that 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 everything is so bleak and grim and overly gritty. Uh, I'm glad you got to that point because that's something that me and friend of the show eddie we're talking about mm-hmm. is that this movie is going to lose some of the your your marvel fans your casual marvel fans because of the fact that it's essentially a dc movie and this movie got very dark and very nihilistic uh compared to all other marvel movies where all other marvel movies are like through the power of friendship and teamwork we can totally overcome everything because we're we're badass and this movie is literally un undoes a lot of the core fundamental like ideas of the marvel universe and marvel movies in general where you're just like nope nothing matters since the beginning of time nothing matters you guys are just a machine to feed to celestial gods it's and also, nothing it's also just unfun and and, and Which i'm get... cool with unfun superhero movies it's just so like it's just so completely out of left field compared to you know especially since I know you haven't seen it yet, but especially since Shang-Chi was really fun. And like I watched Black Widow and Black Widow's still, you know, pretty good, like Marvel movie. <laughs> well, that yeah, and, and the thing too, like is just like it's again, it's yes, like the critic the criticism on DC films was that they were just too dark and 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 it was and it's just overly serious and stuff like that. But you know what like kind of works about that is the fact that some that that they're at least characters that you know like you know like even though you'd never seen like this version of flash on screen or this version of wonder woman or this version of aquaman you at least had some sort of background with those characters you'd at least seen like like them in a cartoon 
or or like you know flash on a tv series like you had some sort of background for who these characters were so it didn't feel like just completely unknown characters and this that's the problem is that none of them are characters that are that that like you know that you have any connection to most people that are going to be watching this i if you say that you read you know a bunch of eternals comics before you went into this movie i know you're a fucking liar <laughs> don't try it with me <laughs> are you talking to that one listener or are you talking to me i uh, no, i'm talking to anybody who like legitimately tries to say that that <laughs> i've read a turtle count like i'm yes i'm sure that there is one or two people out there who have read it but there none of these things... <laughs> but this is not like some known comic series with known comic characters <laughs> In fact, like I was calling most of these people their actors' names instead of character names. I was, um, it was funny. I went to a comic book shop, I think, a couple days before I went to go uh, watch the movie. And there were people there to pick up Eternals comics because they wanted to get familiar with it. But because it's such an obscure title to begin with, like it's like a very niche title, even the comic book shop was like, yeah. We only carried a couple copies, and it's already like on back order. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, like I mean, we'll see. We'll see if there's any resurgence of that stuff. All, all the Eternals does is establish more into co- cosmic Marvel. But getting back to it, so the Eternals stay with humanity, and they push progress um, until about fifteen twenty one. Their their mission is to exterminate all the deviants. So they spend about um about what was it like six thousand years with humanity pushing uh you know pushing the evolutionary chain meanwhile hunting down deviants all over the world however in the 1500s um we see that they live through the fall of uh Tenochtitlan when the conquistadors came and essentially um you know raped and murdered the aztec people and took the land and colonized it themselves so we see that the eternals there but the uh, eternals were there on the at the fall of the you know aztec empire capital however they uh, under strict instructions uh, from arishem were unable to uh, do anything about it so here is where we start learning you know we see the fractures in the team uh, by this point, Icarus and Cersei had already uh, married each other, and we see kind of a, a friendship possible romance begin between Gilgamesh and uh, Athena. However, we see that Athena starts uh, becoming more uh, unstable, and she goes on to attack the rest of the team, almost killing them, until Gilgamesh is able to beat is able to beat her in a fight and then kind of learns to calm her down kind of the way black widow calms the hulk down in age of ultron uh even like doing the whole hand thing <laughs> where he like touches her hand and brings her back uh but at this point uh you start seeing the fractures in the team where icarus um or you know like or no it was druig i'm sorry druig wants to take more of an active role in uh humanity where he wants to be able to avoid wars and genocide however icarus uh being the boy scout wants them to serve their purpose and erishem's uh will as much as possible which uh pushes druig to mass mind control 
the both the conquistadors and uh the aztecs and ends up essentially taking everyone from the city and walks off into the like jungles with them uh, and he instructs that the only way to stop him is if they were to kill him which everyone uh, resigns not to not wanting to kill a member of their uh quote-unquote family so uh, with the death of the last deviant ajak kind of releases everyone from duty and encourages uh the rest of the eternals to uh, live among the humans and learn from them and maybe someday down the line they'll they'll reunite and they'll talk about what they learned from living with them so they spend the next 500 years um yeah they spend the next 500 years just living among the humans uh awaiting for Arishem to return and give them orders so that takes us to the present day where we see that Cersei and Sprite are living in London and that Cersei is uh in a relationship with dane whitman and they both work at like this i'm assuming like a museum is what it looks like and i guess in london museums offer classes to like middle school kids <laughs> so they you know like we see that uh cersei is essentially a teacher um and she's able to we all see that she still uh is able to use her powers uh her powers being able to like kind of i guess uh change things like to other things to change matter to other matter uh because in her classroom uh we see that there's this giant earthquake and like this giant stone slab is about to fall on a girl and she's able to change it into like dirt or sand or something so it doesn't kill the girl um but this is where we learn that these tremors are being felt all over the world and one and on a night out um you know, we see that Dane wants to invite Cersei to to move in with her or move in with him to which she's very kind of apprehensive about. Uh, Sprite, um, in the body of like a preteen or a teenager, she uh, urges Cersei to, uh, to move in and to, if she really is in love with Dane to kind of let herself enjoy the relationship. And, but before they're able to come up with anything, we see that a deviant has been in the i guess the river thames and he attack or the monster ends up attacking the creature or, or attacking the heroes and as they try to run and get as many people off the city street um sprite uses her abilities for uh to create like uh clones and when the monster tries to eat the you know the the eternals they get saved last minute by good old Icarus with the, you know, he comes in flying like Superman and just starts blasting him with uh, laser beams uh, and just starts punching it back into the water where the creature retreats and uh, escapes. So from there, uh, you know, they realize that the, or they talk about how the, how the, uh, the deviants have returned and that's their responsibility to stop them and that they have to get the team back together um so they go to south dakota so that they can meet with ajak uh to try to you know try to find out what's the next step once they get to south dakota though they find out that ajak um ajak is already dead and they assume one of the deviants uh was responsible for her death um and kind of like more proof of that is that one of the the deviant that attacked them uh after icarus blasted it with i-beams 
it used Ajax's power of healing to kind of repair itself and keep on fighting. I love the way you're describing all of this because let me be 100% honest with you. I could not follow what the fuck was going on in this movie. Like the fact that you are describing, <laughs> you are literally answering all the questions that my wife and I had with each other, like going back and forth with the movie. And I don't know if it was like partly that my daughter was just distracting me while we were trying to watch the movie or distracting us. Or that, like, I just literally at some point because I couldn't see and I just, like, like went out to get concessions or something like that. Like, I felt like I was missing so much of this movie. Like, just, like, it's just all the time jumping that was going on. Like, I, I, I was kind of, like, A, I couldn't really see what was going on <laughs> in much of mm-hmm. the movie. But B, I also just was like, okay, like, when is this supposed to be? When is this supposed to be? And a lot of it was just my wife and I describing to each other what you know when this is supposed to be is this like a flashback or is this like present day and i and 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 that's the part of this that's insanely confusing and i'm so glad that you're describing all of this right now because even to me who i watched this movie for this podcast (laughs) you are putting me up on game on what actually happened (laughs) and that's the thing to remember is this like we're trying to explain things as chronological as possible because the movie does jump around a lot like everything from babylon to tenochtitlan happens like i want to say that's like what a half hour to almost 45 minutes in the movie like it's a good amount of time that they spend in the past so it's, you know, like just for for our you know purposes, we're just trying to condense it and keep it, you know, ch- chunked into like more manageable pieces. But this movie does jump around a lot, whether it's in time, time wise, just present day when they go to different locations around the world. And it can get a little annoying to try to keep track of who's where. Um, so anyway. So after uh, they discover Ajax's body, Cersei's able to, or when she um, goes and kind of pays her respects to Ajax, uh, the gem that is in Ajax's chest comes out and just kind of shoots itself into Cersei, which then bonds her to uh, Arsham. To it, and you know, Arsham uh, begins talking to Cersei, letting her know that it's time. Uh, but before she can get any other answers, uh, Sprite and Icarus kind of shake her out. And it's kind of at this point, um, yeah, that they, they, yeah, it's at this point where they kind of decide they got to go and uh, prepare Earth for, for, sorry i'm like getting all over the place myself so it's at this point that they like resign themselves to getting the team back together to be able to stop um the this one specific deviant who apparently can take their powers and is becoming this apex predator um uh, and here's where oh god even like as i read through the wikipedia this is where it gets like a little wonky um because like there's some stuff that happens before they they find out about the emergence but essentially um cersei tries to um tries to open more communication with Arisham. i think it's at this point they go down to they they go to australia to meet up with um gilgam oh no 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 i'm lying because they had to go get Kingo out in India 
Um, and that's where they were able to pick up uh, your your boy. Crap, what was his name? <laughs> Kingo uh, and Karun. There we go. Karun. I was about to call him Kuran, but I was like, wait a minute. That's absolutely not. <laughs> Good save there, bud. <laughs> uh, Karun. And I think I like Karun so much because he literally starts off as like a, a nothing more than a comedic relief, like assistant. Um, and he actually ends up kind of becoming the avatar for the human perspective. <laughs> he really does, and he's just like it's funny because uh, essentially you find out that Kingo has been uh living among the humans and has become the most successful Bollywood actor in history. And the way he's done it is by playing pretty much a lineage where he's been in his own great grandfather, then grandfather, then father, then him. <laughs> and then he, he brings in Karun as like his, um, as his assistant who is completely already knows about all the Eternals and knows about like their mission to help humanity. So he's like star starstruck to see all these heroes. <laughs> and it's funny because he is a stand-in for their the human experience where he's just like, oh cool, you guys are just talking about the you know beginning of humanity and the universe. <laughs> That's kind of cool. And he just like looks at him with such wide-eyed optimism the entire time. Um, but yeah, we find out that um that Kingo's been uh pretty much retelling their old war stories as movies and that's how like i, I think when they find him there he's filming uh he's filming uh what's it called um the story of icarus and he's even dressed up as icarus he goes oh yeah you see the armor i'm wearing and then you find out he just does a lot of like campy movies and stuff um he offers to fly them out to australia and that's where they meet up with yoga mesh and thena uh, where they find out Gilgamesh has pretty much been like this cook. <laughs> and he's just been kind of cooking for him and Thena, keeping her uh, calm, having her work on uh, maintaining her memories. Because the big thing is it's a, it's a certain type of madness they give a name to it. I, I missed what it was called. But it's when her eyes glaze over, right? And it's that um, they're saying she's remembering like lives past. Or she's remembering memories from other uh, Eternals out there. So, um, you know, they, 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 they work to try to keep her under control. And during this time is when Cersei, uh, she starts meditating and is able to talk to Erishem. And yeah. this, this is, is where we and you know what, this, this, I'm not going to lie. This movie just, this is a section of the movie that feels like, shittier x-men <laughs> like mm -hmm. you know what i mean like yeah like it, some of this it's hard not to think of like rogue or gene gray like you know these characters that have like in great powers but are cursed kind of by the power that mm -hmm. they have you know and it's super yeah again like i said it just it super does feel very x-men but at the same time like neither the characters nor the writing is anywhere as good as like the best x-men movies <laughs> mm -hmm. And then, and then so much of this movie's recruitment, like they're recruiting people well into the third act of the film. And I'm just like, why? Well, okay. So this is the thing. It's like, you could, you could seriously, if, if you were serious about making an eternal series, like, or like the two part movie, 
the recruitment can be one movie and like the first third of this movie would actually end up being an entire movie like you just you split out the opening part where you're getting used to who these characters are get like a solid background for who all of them are and make that like kind of like the first half of that Stephen King's it miniseries (laughs) that's really Mm -hmm. just like bringing all the losers club back together and then make the second part like you know the the quote-unquote climax or actual story of the movie and I think again because it just felt like it it was going back and forth between pushing the plot forward to where we were gonna go like you know into the climax of the movie and as you said like you're the fact that you're still recruiting people like well into into near the climax of the movie it just doesn't it, it was too confusing and the movie just wasn't holding my interest enough to be able to like to be able to do it that way like i just it just wasn't working for me at all i would when i was talking to eddie about it we argued that you should you could split this movie into three parts and you can split into like a, a trilogy if you really wanted to and you can have the first movie be um from when they get to earth to 1500s when they when they break apart when they originally uh stop the the original deviants right um you can make the next movie when they separate and they live in humanity and what that's like um and you have something that kind of starts bringing them together and that way the entire that entire movie like after spending a movie with these characters where we learn to care about them and we learn who they are and why they matter in the grand scheme of things you know you 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 present movie number two where they've been separated and you're just like well how are they going to get back together and then there's something that finally brings them back together and they and they kind of restores them as a team and then you can make the third movie whatever's supposed to come after eternals because the movie ends with saying that the eternals will return and they're they're in space by that point so the third movie could be the grand triumph of the Eternals where they go to space and they kick the shit out of space God, you know, like that. Like, I feel there were better ways to handle this movie uh, to make me actually give a shit about this team, but it's just done. Like, I care more about this team because there's actors I like than I care about the actual characters. And that's not a good thing. <laughs> like, I, you know, unfortunately, like that's like yeah these are good actors and whatnot but i mean if it's because i care that one of them is don lee and the other one is like kamel Munjiani or that one of them is selma hayek like that doesn't mean that they're strong characters you just picked really good actors that you just picked really about. good actors to play really paper thin characters exactly and you know what it kind of makes me think of it's it makes me think of ben affleck's batman like, you know, perfect, mm-hmm. really great casting, a guy who you feel like would do the actual job, like, in such a fantastic way, and yet the movies that he's in, the writing isn't good enough to make you really feel like you're watching a good Batman movie. Mm-hmm. So, uh, this is where we get another expo dump for, like, ten minutes, <laughs> where Cersei finds out <laughs> the reality of the Eternals and this is where she talks to Arishem and she finds out that uh, you know the Eternals created or I'm sorry the, the Celestials created planets and then every you know there's a couple planets that were chosen 
to birth more celestials so that the celestials can keep creating planets and essentially keep expanding sentient life all through the cosmos. Uh, the thing is, when a celestial is born, it destroys the planet that it was originally on. And the only way to power a uh, celestial, essentially to full term, is b- through uh, harnessing the power of, um, what's it called, uh, sentient life. So uh, when originally they sent out the deviants, uh, the deviants started, oh, you know, they would kill off all the monsters in order that were already living on these planets so they could uh, push evolution along to bring sentient life around. The problem is that the deviants started killing sentient life. So Irishham did an oopsie and was like, oh, well, now I got to create these superheroes that are going to go kill the deviants so that human life or any sentient life can continue to grow. So we find out that the Celestials are essentially living organic robots whose only purpose is to help a planet uh, reach its reach, you know, help the Celestial living in a planet reach its full like term so that it can finally be born uh, and destroy the planet. The problem here then becomes that since all of them went off and lived among humans, the idea is that they're supposed to care about humanity and don't want that to happen. <laughs> so um, even though, you know, ignoring the fact that Arishem is a space god and technically could, should be able to figure out what's going on and should be able to pull them off planet very easily, that doesn't happen. And uh, the Celestials have an idea to stop the birth of uh, I forget what the, oh, Tiamat. Tiamat is the uh, celestial that's supposed to be born on Earth. So they think that with the help of Druig, uh, they can actually put Tiamat back to sleep. Or, um, yeah, that's the idea, is put him back to sleep until they find a, a way to birth the celestial without it destroying the planet. Uh, meanwhile, all these, like, tremors and earthquakes are getting worse. So they go out and they, what do they do? They got to go. Now they got to go recruit Druid. <laughs> so this is where they go to, um, they end up going to, I believe it's the Amazon where they recruit Druid or they try to recruit Druid who kind of refuses at first. However, they end up getting attacked by the uh, Deviant Crow, who is the, um, like the, the, Oh my god! Why am I blanking? The evolving one, the evol- uh, the evolving deviant. Mm-hmm. So he ends up uh, attacking the team along with a bunch of other deviants. That uh, Icarus manages to kill a bunch of them. However, uh, Fina, unable to kind of control herself, uh, lets Gilgamesh fight Crow by himself, where he ends up getting overpowered. And once again, I had to watch Don Lee get killed by a bite <laughs> or get bitten to death, <laughs> just like in Train to Busan. <laughs> um, then uh, Crow ends up absorbing his power of like super strength. Um, from there, Druig agrees to join the team, uh, but they need to find a way to kind of amplify their powers because Druig isn't enough or he's not strong enough by himself to uh, be able to put Tiamat to sleep. Um, oh, and I did want to talk about one other thing, is the blip. I think that uh, me and Eddie were arguing about that, <laughs> that too. 
because he was saying that the blip and this kind of pissed me off now that I, like the more i think about it the more annoying it becomes is that now the problem is now that we have the context of the celestials being born on earth now it makes thanos the good guy and i don't know how how to feel about that because i thought thanos in retrospect was such a crappy <laughs> <laughs> because if you think about it he reduces or he reduces the universe's population by half it essentially cucks the uh the, the celestials right because it's like now <laughs> oh is it because i use the term cuck but yeah it like screw yeah. it screws the celestials because now there's less like sentient life that they can draw from which now inadvertently means that Thanos was right. And it's like, but he wasn't. He's still a dumb piece of shit. Yeah, his plan is still stupid. It doesn't make it any less stupid, but his stupidity inadvertently keeps the Save world from the ending. Yeah. <laughs> or at the very least, it just pushes the end times a little bit further. Like, it just kicks the can a little bit down the road. Yeah, it's like kind of like a very Star-Lord falling ass backwards into a solution for another problem speaking of which it is crazy how much the internet's turned on chris pratt just putting that out there yeah well part of it's deserved but (laughs) (laughs) all right we'll just leave that at that because this isn't a chris pratt uh like you know burning section yeah yeah there's i still uh, you know, the, I'm pretty sure Avengers Endgame is enough. <laughs> Technically Infinity War, that's the one. <laughs> well, yeah, but Endgame specifically, I think he 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 gets infinitely more dickish in that second one. Does he? Yeah, he's worse. He's worse. He's not really in Endgame, though. He doesn't show up till the end. Or is it Infinity War that I'm thinking about? Yeah, it's Infinity War. Oh, all right. The one well, we literally just watched. Oh, okay, well, cool. Fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> all right back now back to this shitty <laughs> <laughs> if we must oh my god so now the team has to go and they end up finding makari uh who's been living on the the spaceship the domo the entire time um and she's just been waiting she's just sitting there like hey guys um and it's at and i believe um before this happens they go to um what's it called uh i think i forgot where uh where it was that um crap why am i blanking on his name god there's so many goddamn characters in this movie oh dude i you know i I wish i could step in and help you here (laughs) because i know so they they go to like chicago to check on uh i think it's chicago i could be just assuming I'm pretty sure it's I don't know anymore. <laughs> Nameless in, American city. Random American city, which may or may <laughs> not be the suburbs of Chicago. <laughs> but they go they meet up with Festus and they find out that Festus has a family. He has a husband now uh, and he has a child and he's been, you know, he refuses to use his powers um, after uh, 1945 because he helped the united states create a nuclear bomb and he takes sole responsibility for uh the dropping of the bombs on hiroshima and you had that was actually a really good and powerful scene 
that really got to me where he's just like sitting in the like he's just standing in like the wreckage and the rubble of uh, Hiroshima and Ajak is just kind of there trying to comfort him and he's just like bawling his eyes out like like saying I did this pretty much Mm-hmm. And I was like, holy shit, this movie. Got... <laughs> I'm like, this is Nacho Mama's Marvel. <laughs> well, if this movie did more of this stuff, but maybe reduce the amount of characters that you had to like deal with or just reduce the amount of bullshit you had to put up with. It's like if you could focus more on some of these like really good moments, like I feel like, it, you know, it'd just be much more interesting because you're right, I I, I mm-hmm. do think that that was a really good like moment in the film, but it's just it it it, it it's one of the few that has impact, and it just like kind of disappoints me like just remembering it because it's like yeah it's, this could have been so much better it, it just could have been so much better. It's just crammed between set pieces, and you're just like fuck man. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like at this point, um, Cersei and Icarus are able to convince Festus to join. He gets on the ship. And he comes up with the idea of using the Unimind, which is, uh, you know, using bands created from the um, kind of like the orb in uh, Cersei's chest. They aim to use that to connect everyone, use everyone's powers to essentially supercharge Druig so that he can put Tiamat to sleep. However, it's at this point where Icarus admits to always knowing the truth about the Eternals. And we find out that he's actually still devoted to um, Arishem and Arishem's like mission. And he also reveals through a flashback that he was the one that uh, got Ajak killed after he took her to the Alaskan wilderness where he showed that the deviants were still alive. And we see that he threw uh, Ajak to the deviants where she was uh, killed by Crow and had her powers taken. Icarus then takes her body to back to South Dakota where he stages it to make it look like the um, deviants had killed her and essentially reveals like, you know, that he's, he should have been the big bad of this movie, just saying. But, <laughs> um, you know, at this point, um, he starts uh, trying to attack the team and, uh, he tries to kill uh, Macaulay when she finds out where the uh, site of the emergence is supposed to be at, which is kind of like this deserted island off the coast of India. Um, and he ends up disabling the ship or tries to disable the ship uh, and just flies straight there to try to stop, uh, essentially play defense and tries to keep the rest of the uh, Eternals from trying to stop the emergence. And I believe Sprite ends up going with him to kind of stop everything. So when they get there, a big old superhero fight ensues. Not going to go through it completely. But uh, Crow then shows up to try to stop. Um, You know, what we do get to see that I did did think was really cool was we got to see a lot of Fastest's uh, gadgets. And we got to see that even though he's the nerd of the group, he has a lot of really cool tools and i really did like seeing like the visuals on his uh on his technology like while he was fighting icarus um we get to see fina ends up killing uh crow after she uh try you know fake sacrificing herself to kind of like uh as an honor to gilgamesh 
she ends up slicing his head off looks really cool and then uh we get um we get a a kind of really a fight but kind of a fight between cersei and sprite where she uh sends out an illusion of ajak and while uh cersei is distracted she ends up stabbing her Mm-hmm. And as she's about to die, or you know, while she's gloating, Druig just grabs a rock and like smashes it on her. Head. Yeah. And I was like, all right, cool, I guess. And then at this point, uh, they tried to join the Unimind, uh, but are unable to um to get enough power to kind of get the uh to to get druig to put airsha or put tiamat to sleep um so essentially i think it's at that point that um cersei like tries to freeze tiamat like she ends up using the the select or the celestials the eternals like combined energy Mm -hmm. um and before Icarus can like stop her because he can't bring himself to kill his wife, he just kind of cries and lets her use his power. And she manages to turn Tiamat's body because you see like his hand. It's actually really cool visuals where you see like the hands start coming out of the water and you see the mm-hmm. head start coming out. But she ends up turning it to stone, killing him and um, like keeping him in uh, encased in stone. In- exactly encased in stone and like making him a part of the planet essentially yeah um (laughs) very moana of them (laughs) really believe it or not i've actually never seen moana so that's pretty rad i recommend that way more than this shit (laughs) (laughs) so in a very superman breaking bad move icarus ashamed for what he's done and for almost killing his family flies into the sun and i guess just kind of fucks off i swear when i kept hearing the name icarus over and over in this movie i was like are they gonna do a fucking icarus flies into the sun joke at some point well the joke was that sprite told the story of icarus's wings melting as a joke Mm. and the greeks just ran with it i remember that being a line in the movie but essentially, this is something Superman has done in the past where he just like flies into the sun and he's just like, I'm gonna chill here mm-hmm. until until I'm done being sad. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm left to assume either he died or he he's just chilling in the sun in like a meditative state. Uh, so Thena, Druig, and Makari end up leaving in the ship. And then Cersei, Fastus, and Kingo stay on Earth. Uh, we find out that um, that uh, Cersei apparently still has a lot of the uh, celestial power and ends up using it to uh, turn Sprite human so that she can finally grow and learn what it's like to be not a child for mm-hmm. once in her life. And so she goes back, you know, everyone goes back to life as normal. She ends up talking to Dane um also known as Jon Snow but she talks to Dane Whitman and starts cashing him up on everything they've been through and he's actually able to take it all in stride 
and to which um he fun- he tries to tell her that he found out something about his own family past um and that before he can really kind of say anything Ereshem's giant fucking face like shows up in the sky and he ends up <laughs> kidnapping the celestials left on earth and tells them that uh he considers what they did treason and that there better be good reason for them to kill a celestial uh for this planet and that he'll make his judgment by looking at their memories and he ends up taking the um he ends up taking uh the celestials and going back into space and roll credits that's the movie except for our two end credit scenes (laughs) <laughs> where one of them sh- one of them reveals that dane whitman is actually in um possession of the ebony blade and that he it comes from a long line of what you're essentially setting up for him to become the black knight and uh if you believe my roommate it sounds like the person that talks to him is blade or Mahershala ali at the end of that scene because you know he goes he opens a box and he speaks the incantation on the box and suddenly mm-hmm. like you know there's ooky spooky energy coursing through and then something to the effect of you sure you want to use that um so you know there could be a cool crossover between blade and black knight in the future um but the second scene being more uh important to uh cosmic marvel and kind of things that are going to go on in the space uh as far as like the space opera part is that um, he just kind of invites his, uh, himself on the ship, but Thanos's brother Eros or Star Fox uh, shows up and he uh, introduces himself to the Celestials and says that he's going to need, on the, or, you know, that he's there to help them. And roll credits, and that's the end of our movie. Yes. <laughs> Yep, that was definitely a thing, honestly. Hey, it's a thing that I watched <laughs> on a screen somewhere that I could barely see. It was two and a half <laughs> hours of something, that's for sure. Uh, all right, I'm pretty sure that we have both made our thoughts abundantly clear on this, but, uh, you know, Javi, did you like Marvel's Eternals? It's hard, because I would have said yeah before we did this episode (laughs) like i've been telling people it's a very mess story for a marvel movie and the only thing that really saves it for me is the cast i think the casting choices were fantastic and i think the cast is probably one of the strongest movies since what avengers one maybe are you interested in coming back to this world if they do a sequel like do do you do have any interest in coming back to this i'll give it a shot just because i like space marvel like I'd be willing to give Eternals two a shot, especially if it goes where I think it is, where it's going to introduce a lot more cosmic Marvel and like Guardians of the Galaxy uh, Volume Three is supposed to introduce Adam Warlock, and there's supposed to be a lot more brought in uh, for cosmic level threats. Okay, how about I'm this? I'll say in. this better. Can you? stomach watching more Eternals movies without Guardians or without X-Men? I mean, if it's better, yeah. 
right. if I'm watching a good movie, yes. <laughs> I mean, but that, I'm also biased because, like I told you, this is also yeah. this reeks of the Jack Kirby stuff that I like. This is about that, you know, high concept, like things that were around before humanity was even a thought sort of stuff, you know? Like, this is where you have God, like, I, me personally, I'm actually a huge fan of of the trope of gods being so up their own asses that they're not even, they're not much better than regular people. <laughs> A.K.A. Dr. Manhattan. Kind of, A.K.A. Dr. Manhattan. I think that's a great trope. Um, or I think I told, I think I've told you about it, which I think you would really like is Mr. Miracle. Um, the 2018 Tom King one, because that's very much about that. It's about mm-hmm. how this, how this new God is trying to balance being the commander of the new Genesis, a new Genesis army while trying to be a father to a newborn son and how he's like trying to balance those two lives where he's like, Oh, I got to go take Jacob to, um, you know, a play date on Tuesday, but I'm also supposed to kill Calabac on Wednesday. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> like, look, <laughs> Like it has concepts like that, and that type of shit's really cool. It's really goofy, but it does like give you a lot to play with with these characters. I just think this movie was trying to do way too much in the two and a half hours. And like I told you, I don't know how a two and a half hour movie still feels rushed mm-hmm. because it feels like you. There's certain points where where everyone is just trying to recruit, and then like twenty minutes of nothing. And I'm just like, why? Yeah. You know what it probably felt more like? It's kind of stinks of certain parts of it stink of 2017 Justice League. Yeah. Where it's like recruiting and shit is missing. So it's just flying by. But at the same time, it's just like, it's kind of dumb. And there's just like not too much stuff to be, to basically have you interested in this. Um. I mean, I'll I'll watch Eternals too. I didn't like Eternals, like, but I'll still mm-hmm. give it a shot, pretty much. All right. What about you? Even though um... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like it, and and I'm also gonna kind of put a caveat there, kind of like when we talk about these movies that come out on HBO Max or Peacock or any of these streaming services that we've been watching. If this movie came to Disney Plus. And I was watching it at home on Disney Plus, and I took breaks while I was watching it at home. My opinion might be different. I might mm-hmm. not be as overwhelmingly negative on this as I am, but I and and I think my maturity now compared to year one, where all I did was just duke all over Infinity War every moment <laughs> I got. I don't just want to like you know say that anyone who found enjoyment in this is stupid. But you know, I I, I don't think uh, it. <laughs> but I have a friend that I follow on Twitter who like basically said, you know, Eternals was great, and if you didn't get it, you're a nerd. And I was just like, man, I must be a fucking geek because I sure as fuck didn't understand it. <laughs> oh no, I get it. It's just bad. <laughs> yeah, and it's just yeah, I'm just not into it. And it's you know, who knows? Maybe if they do come back with this again maybe but if we're gonna get into cosmic marvel and space marvel and stuff like that i'm way more interested in us getting space marvel space mcu x-men or space Mm -hmm. mcu fantastic four 
I think we need to stop wasting time with these characters and uh, either put them as side characters in a in, in like like if we take some of these characters and put them in side characters in another team up movie with another team of people that are like more interesting. So let's say we get MCU Fantastic Four, they get their own movie at first. And then we get the oh second MCU Fantastic Four. And then we're getting some of these characters like that are more like cosmic and space Marvel. That feels a million times more interesting. And then you can also do all the shit with Guardians and everything. Because there are parts of this where it does feel like, yeah, yeah, this does feel like the same space universe as like as Guardians. Because Guardians is such a like it basically expanded like the universe, like l- the literal universe and made it so big that it's just like yeah i can i can deal with that but it's just again it, as you said like really hit the nail on the head it both feels really slow and drags and at the same time feels really rushed and incomplete and um there's it's- just not enough in it that's keeping me interested and uh i'm very much looking forward to the possibility of next week's movie because I know that we kind of went back and forth about it, um, but you know, I, I I have a good idea of where it is I want to go for the next Marvel movie. Even though, like, I there think are letting, I, there are letting I, listeners choose. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure I know what our listeners are going to vote on <laughs> once we it? put that. I'll tell you offline. <laughs> oh, you fuck! I'm not putting ideas in any of our listeners' heads, but I'm pretty sure I, I know. Regard, they pick Howard the listen. Duck. I'm fighting all. <laughs> <laughs> it's Cosmic Marvel. You know what? I'm not fucking lying. I want my Howard the Duck MCU. <laughs> I'm someone who's who's less interested in like the fucking awesome characters that everyone cares about, and I'm more into like. Let's get all the bullshit characters that nobody likes. And I know that people love Howard the Duck. And Howard the Duck is ripe for, for something that's really funny and good at the same time. And given that we've already seen what uh, James Gunn has done with Guardians, I think someone who has a James Gunn sensibility would be perfect to do something like Howard the Duck. But anyway, there, speaking there on, Avenger- a- uh, on Eternals, did not care for it much. Uh we did watch it whatever i you know hey hey <laughs> i didn't hate it i just didn't care for it ending. i think this is the most flippant dismissive ending of a podcast episode we've ever done we're just like yeah that was a thing like we're not even mad we spent two and a half hours watching this movie we're just like yep yeah, nah, it it's the ultimate it's the ultimate i'm not mad i'm just disappointed in you like Man, we really are old. That's our, we really have matured. If that's our take on movies, we're not mad. We're just disappointed in you, Marvel. All right. So we'd like to thank you guys for joining us for this episode of the show. We hope that you continue to interact with us on social media and continue to leave reviews on our Apple Podcasts or any platform that you are listening to this on. Wherever you, whatever you can do to try to raise the awareness of the show. Uh, We really appreciate you guys continuing to follow us and we will be posting uh, a a poll on our social media by Saturday. Um, Well, let's say Friday and then we can close it uh, Sunday and uh, we'll be able to 
have you guys vote on the movie that we're going to be doing uh, to end out this uh, November Marvel month. Uh, so looking forward to that, letting the listeners like pick what we're going to review next. And uh, we just really appreciate you guys continuing to follow us. And we hope that you guys come back to listen to next week's episode. So we'll talk to you guys later. Later, y'all.